Alright boys, crack open a cold one. It's time to get morphine! <laughs> uh, hello, Phantomorphs! <laughs> Welcome to the ABC, or the Animorphs Book Club for Long. I am really good at bits. That was a literal cold open. It was. You're correct. Aren't I clever? Anyway, my name is Jenny. My name's Brent, and welcome to the the, the ABC. Jen- Jenny, why don't you start us off? Or the Animorphs, or the Animorphs book club for long. That's our catchphrase. Is it? <laughs> um, uh, it is oh. now, bitch. Uh, <laughs> okay. So today we are talking about book two in the Animorphs series, which is the Visitor. Ooh. Oh, woo. Oh, woo. And uh, I guess we'll just get right into yeah, it. Yeah, let's know? just get into it. I think we need very little uh, prelude here. Um, I will say, though, that if yeah. for some reason you're listening to these out of order and this is the first time that you're listening to one of these, uh, we're talking about the second book in the Animorphs book series. Uh, you're welcome to read along with us. So just take a minute, pause, go read the book, come back when you're ready. Or if you don't want or need context, that is totally fine, too. Um you can just be confused. That's also okay. Yeah, we highly recommend, though, that you read these books, not only because it's easier to keep track of what we're talking about, but also because they're really good and they are very short because they're for children. They're like 72 well, pages each about? For tweens, yeah. There's like 23 to 25 chapters in mm-hmm. each, and each chapter is like a couple pages like, you're fine. It takes, like, an hour tops to read this these books. And you can get them online for free. Again, we're not going to say where. But you can get them online for free. Um, and we highly recommend that you join the dang party and get morphin' with the crew. Get morphin' with the crew, my dude. Um, okay. Okay, let's just get into it. Okay. Um, I will... Hell, I will, Okay, yes. I'll start us off. Uh, let me just say... This book slaps. It slapped pretty it dang slapped hard. hard. Left a red mark. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a bruise there for a while because it slapped so hard. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. I think, dare I say, better than the first one. Maybe I agree. We'll get into why, but I also agree. Those are my initial thoughts. My initial thoughts was to an extent wow, in this order. My initial thoughts after I finished were, wow hot damn what and whoa (laughs) exactly in that order did you write out did you write out three h's (sighs) whoa Mm -hmm. i um i mostly agree i do think this book slapped there were some little hiccups for me that i think hindered the overall smoothness of the story i do think that the first book overall is smoother Mm -hmm. but i do think this book is better in the second half uh by a long Mm -hmm. shot um shit gets crazy we'll get into it uh should we start off with just a summary of what happened in this yeah yeah we'll do what we did last time we'll just go through the whole thing and analyze as we go and then at the end we'll talk about 
our predictions, any final thoughts we have, that sort of thing. Um, so this book, unlike the first book, is from Rachel's perspective. Uh, yeah, I was not expecting that, even though she's on the cover, so I don't know why I was surprised. I I opened it and I was like, oh, oh, it's Rachel now. I really like that. I wasn't expecting that, but I really like it. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Um, and and it, it, this pretty much means definitively that each book is going to be from a different kid's perspective, which I think is very, very cool. And I'm kind of low-key happy this one isn't from Jake's perspective because he's a little bit boring. Sorry. Yeah, I think I think definitely Rachel is a better narrator than Jake. That's actually my first note <laughs> is, As valid. is that she is a better narrator than than jake yeah sorry i think jake is gonna get more interesting but right now i just he doesn't have as much of a personality outside of the rest of the cast that is true but also in jake's defense as we see like throughout the course of this book and the last book i think we can tell that jake is the only one with emotional intelligence out of like the five of them except for maybe marco maybe I thought Cassie had emotional intelligence. Like, what do you what, what do you mean by emotional, emotional intelligence? intelligence in terms of like, like when they're by the construction site? I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but when they're by the construction site and like, um, he's like always the first one to comfort, like to comfort somebody. Um, like Cassie is a peacemaker. Like she, um, she's very good at like mitigating conflict. Um, but I think, like, I can't. I I think Jake does have some emotional intelligence in terms of like, he's always worried, but everybody else, he can kind of tell what everybody else is feeling. Um, Like Rachel definitely, I don't think, has as much emotional intelligence um, as Jake, I think. Um, Yeah. I mean, we haven't seen the other, like, like the other kid's perspective, but I don't think we should discredit. I mean, he is boring. No, but- yeah, I'm not discrediting Jake. I, 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 I think that I genuinely do think he will get more interesting, and I think that he does show some signs of like having his own personality and and being like a a real person. But as of right now, I just think that he doesn't stand out as much as like Marco or Cassie or Rachel or even Tobias, who all have like that thing. Mm-hmm that makes them stand out. The only thing that Jake has is like how we talked about last time where he's the leader for some, for some reason. reason. I don't know. Why. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think like what you were talking about uh, last time, he's kind of an everyman. And I think for that purposes, he was a good um, like introduction to this series. I think he was a good first narrator in terms of like you can project onto him, which is convenient for the first book in any series. Um, yeah. Is even though he's kind of dull, I I guess you could say not necessarily like dumb, but like you know just unremarkable. Um, I think I feel like that's a little bit intentional, um, at least for the yeah. first book because it does serve a purpose, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, but another thing I like about the different perspectives is that we already get to see different sides of these characters mm-hmm. depending on like who is telling the story so in like in the last book marco was established as being like the funny man of the mm-hmm. group but i i felt like we didn't really see him crack as many jokes as we do in this book and that's because to rachel marco seems a lot less serious than when compared to jake 
who Marco knows very well because they're best friends, just because Rachel doesn't really know Marco that well, so she doesn't have as much uh, in knowledge about his sort of life mm-hmm. and, 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 and stuff, so he just seems a lot more silly in this yeah. book. Uh, and I, I thought that was really, really cool. I really liked that. I really that. liked, yeah, I think Rachel and Marco's relationship in this book was really interesting because they're definitely two mm-hmm. really strong, like, personalities. You know, Marco is kind of, the, like, the funny man. He, he seemed kind of, like, silly or ridiculous to Rachel. Um, and I feel like in this you can also kind of tell that Rachel seems kind of, like, harsh and... Um, maybe not as sensitive to Marco from her own perspective, even though she doesn't really care, rightfully. Um, Mm. Yeah, so I think it'll be interesting to see, to read a book from Marco's perspective. I think the next one is going to be- I can't wait. I think the next one is going to be Marco. I can't tell on the cover because (laughs) the covers are weird uh, to begin with. Is the next one, is the next one the boy turning into into the duck? I can't remember. I don't know the next Let one. Me, but a duck? Yeah, a bird of some yeah, sort? Yeah, I think it's a falcon or a hawk of some kind. It's oh. it's called The Encounter, and I think it is Marco. Oh, well, interesting. Um, but, but anyway, Marco is probably my new favorite. I love Cassie, but my favorite might change depending on which book we're reading, just because, you know... I, I like that each of these kids has, for lack of a better word, their own like biases mm-hmm. that that in that color how they describe the world that in, in which they live, and I think that's really interesting. You know what I really liked? Um, S- sorry, sorry, go ahead. Um, no, 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 you... no. I was okay. done. <laughs> um, if we're talking about like character dynamics and character relationships, um, I really like Rachel's relationship with Tobias. Like, um, yeah. Like, I don't know if they had met before um, this kind of thing, because it seemed like um, Tobias was more of Jake's friend than Rachel's friend. But I really like their relationship. They're just, (laughs) it's just really sweet to me. It's very wholesome. It's very wholesome. And I love it. (laughs) I'm I'm wondering, though, if, like, I don't I don't want this to happen because I'm always a fan of like opposite gender friendships in media because I think it's really Mm -hmm. important but I'm wondering like will Tobias develop a bird crush crush. on this human girl I don't know I don't don't want it I don't want to because I think they have a wholesome friendship but like this was published in the 90s it was but I also feel like I don't know I don't I don't know I don't know. But anyway, anyway, so the actual story starts. The kids are, they're flying around. Seems really dope. This made me want to be a bird. Mm -hmm. That was like visually the first two chapters where they were flying around being birds. Birds. Um, It was like a delight to to read. Yes. The sensory experience that was delivered in those first couple chapters was amazing. Um, Yeah. It was fantastic. I really, I really especially, appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. Especially since, like, the first page is Rachel basically saying, like, we're all fucked. Mm-hmm. It's a war. Everything is bad. Yeah, that but first look, paragraph is dark. And then, but we can fly. I just, it was a really nice but juxtaposition, actually. They're like a bird. They only fly away. 
Anyway, it's really fun, except when they almost die getting shot. That's not the move. Uh, <laughs> yeah, by some teenage goons. You know, some goons, some goons and gaffs. Um, oh. But I, I, oh no, you go. Okay, yeah, I, I, yeah. So the the bird thing, I, I loved. I did love how it started off really dark, like that first paragraph dark when she's like we're all gonna die i can't tell you my name we practically already <laughs> lost the war it made me sad and then the bird it's thing really made fun. me happy and then i was sad again at the end yeah there's like a lot of like emotional whiplash yeah, happening in, this book. Were in an emotional roller coaster because at the end she was like after they all morphed back she was like except for tobias tobias is a bird he's still a bird Tobias will always <laughs> be a bird and i was like well i didn't need my heart that's fine it was it was crazy i i want to say though i think that the bird stuff is cool but there's always like some little like environmental and educational parts of this book where like applegate the author she'll just put in like animal facts i love it it's very tickles it tickles my funny bone for some reason it's very very humorous to me because it'll be this like serious situation and then like like in the first one it'll be this like serious situation like jake is a lizard like he's stuck and then like the narrative like like jake will be like cassie told me that lizards can lose their tails it actually is really important for their survival like <laughs> it's just like it turns into like like nat like nat, nat geo <laughs> I, tech, I, it's great loves nature documentaries i love that part i absolutely <laughs> I do. I think it's funny, but I do think it's one of those little codes that shows you, like, this is a, a book series for, for kids and tweens. Teens and tweens. I'm just saying. I do always appreciate a fun fact, but you're you're right. It is... It is yeah, I'm not saying that... Age range. I'm not saying that as an insult. I love children's book series if they're good. Like, this one is good. I like this book series. It's for kids though, and that's that's okay. I, you know, mm -hmm. it's for everyone, but like it's intended for a certain audience, and I I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that even, you know. No, yeah, for sure. I think that's actually important to acknowledge as we, um, read these to remember, like it's mm -hmm. for a certain age range, um, which makes them. I feel like makes them cooler in my mind, at least. I do. I do think so, too, because if this were just um, like a, a, a book series for adults, all of this stuff I don't think would be as interesting. But it, the fact that it happens to children and the fact that it is intended to be read by children um, just makes it historically very, um, what's the word? I guess progressive mm -hmm. would be a, a word to use. I was going to say cool. Progressive is better. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, it's just it's a it's a bit ahead of its time, mm -hmm. um, especially because book series nineties for sure. Yeah, because book series nowadays, even for children, I would argue are are more adept at talking about like serious stuff. Like YA wasn't really a as much of a genre presence. I feel like in the nineties, no. And now we have YA novels that talk about gender, that talk about sex, that talk yeah, about race, like, really got, in detail. And I don't think we got the YA renaissance until after The Hunger Games. I mean, mm -hmm. like, after The after, Hunger Games came out, after that. The, the dystopian, yeah. Yeah. 
but but anyway I, I i do think that there is value in children's media and there's especially value in good children's Absolutely. media not just because it's good for for kids but also because it's just interesting mm-hmm. and, and and i and i like it yeah but yeah anyway back to the story okay, back to the so back to the plot back to the tale um where are we at where we oh yeah kids all morph back they morph back and then they walk home uh pretty much i gotta say it seems like like rachel didn't seem morphing as as bad as jake did like she didn't describe it as like did grossly as he did but the beak to the the beak to the teeth was really bad i did not like that that was gross that was quite disturbing yeah um yeah he his yeah descriptions of morphing are definitely a lot more vivid than than hers where I think she was just kind of blocking out. Yeah. I did love how much attention she paid to Cassie though when she was morphing, which makes sense because they're best friends. Yes. I'm one of my notes is Cassie is a queen. Yes. Um I really love how Rachel was describing Cassie as like very casual but also casually like elegant and um just like graceful despite of the fact yeah like she dresses like a hippie um and i love like their very pure friendship yes they are awesome i cannot wait for the the book that is from cassie's perspective because she is very very cool and and a super interesting character and a queen oh and then marco fully says the word skank which i was not expecting (laughs) i had to take a double take when i read that didn't even notice <laughs> yeah he's marco has a line where he's like you know when you're looking at a girl and you think she's cute and then you realize she's a skank and i was like whoa marco buddy not cool uh i don't think though he i i don't think hmm, about i am not sure how i feel about this because i'm not sure if marco was intending to be sexist to be like to get like a rise out of people because that's kind of something that he just does mm-hmm. or he's just a dude and he doesn't realize what he's saying isn't cool or maybe he does i don't know i don't know i think you know? he was doing it a little bit to get a rise out of rachel because they probably a lot. um but also he's a kid <laughs> a guy he's a kid in the 90s, in the 90s. like <laughs> um speaking of the 90s the humor in this book is very 1999 it is it's very it's very um friends like i don't want to like post friends i feel like i got i got goosebumps vibes oh yeah i i didn't i was not so much as obsessed with goosebumps as i was nancy drew. i was um i was a nancy drew girl i gotta be honest Valid. i just wanted to solve crime i love that for you i Thank wanted you. to be scared and I was. <laughs> I was the Gersburps girl. You were? You know the meme? No. The meme of the girl is like, Gersburps! Oh my god, Gers- You don't know that meme? Mm-hmm. The fuck? I will send- I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna send it to you. <laughs> Please. I- I have a very limited meme education. I know. That's, uh... <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. It's a little bit disappointing. Oh, come on. I'm funny. <laughs> I'm 
you're hilarious, funny. Actually, I just your meme. You, you are hilarious. You're just your meme vocabulary needs to be increased. It is limited. You don't I even know admit. the. You don't even know the most basic ones, but you do know vines, and that's great. I got vines going for me. Okay. You got vines. You got vines. Oh fuck! Can't believe you've done this. You know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like I was saying, it's. Very 90s children's book humor, and I did not find it funny at all. And I'm always of the opinion that if you have humor in a book that's not a comedy book and it's not funny, it's a distraction. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, book. I did not like your humor. It was not funny to me. So the kids are having nightmares. <laughs> I, I like sarcastic humor. Um, I didn't. I don't, I don't know. I didn't, like, think most of it was funny. Like, I didn't laugh at most of Marco's jokes. Um, but then again, I have a very dry sense of humor. Um, yeah, also, we're not 13. Yeah, we're also not 13. That is a good like, point. Growing up in the 90s. <laughs> we have... Yeah, we're not 13 in 1998. I'm not alive in 1998. <laughs> that is... this. This series is as old as my brother my older brother same this series is as old as my older brother i hope anyone listening who is a 90s kid feels very old right now yeah me too we're t- we're 20 years old and we were alive in 1998 why you gotta say it like that because <laughs> i'm rubbing it in their faces <laughs> Oh. Like, I'm just, I want to make them uncomfortable. I am a troll mm-hmm. and a jester and a fool. You are a but, fool. Yeah, the, I'm a snarker. I am. So. Yeah, hey. Oh my God. That's our Twitter bio. Wow. 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 We are what we are. Wow. Anyway, so they're walking home. They stop at the <laughs> construction site, experience trauma. Um, mm-hmm. And then Rachel goes to gym. Gym gymnastics. Gym, I thought you meant like the like there was someone named Jim, and I was like, who the fuck is Jim? No, who is Jim? No, I just forgot what I was saying. Yeah, they she goes to the gym, the GYM. The sixth animorph. There's the secret sixth animorph, and his name is Jim, invi- and he's invisible. He's the invisible. That's he's stuck. Your character, actually. He's oh yeah. That's myself. Insert character. Not even named Jeff. No, if here's my my self insert character would be the artsy one of the group who dies in the first book for the trauma of the other characters. I and who also morphs into John Malkovich? I got. I still want to know. Can you morph into a different person? I don't know. It's not. They don't talk about it in this book. But I want to. I want to say. I think my specialty. Like, if I had a specialty, if morphing into other people is possible, I would want to morph into old white actors. Old white male actors. Like, John Malkovich, mm-hmm. uh, John Turturro, Danny DeVito. <laughs> like, And you can walk into any establishment and just get free things. Yes. I can, I can live life as Danny DeVito. Like, that's powerful. Just swipe your privilege card anywhere. No one will Whoop. question you. You know, there it is. Thing because people love you could you could turn into George Clooney and just get anything <laughs> ever. I could be Willem Dafoe finally. You could you could um 
you can turn into any like older A-list male actor and make another Spy Kids movie. Do the <gasps> Oh my god, yay! <laughs> I could morph into Robert Rodriguez. He's not white, but I could morph into Robert Rodriguez and make another Spy Kids film. I I would love you forever if you could do that for us. I could do it and I could play all the parts. Good. <laughs> oh my god. Now that would be powerful. This is actually relevant because they talk about in the in the books they talk about making movies later. They do as yeah, a joke like, that I didn't laugh at. I I did appreciate that because I was like, that's something that kids would say. Yeah, but uh, anyway, back to the also, that back on the, dealing on the with trauma. Which I yeah, but but the I gotta say, there's this really interesting part where uh, Rachel says that. Uh, in ref- in reference to Cassie, she says like she knows how guys are about showing their true feelings, and I was like, I cannot believe we are getting talks about toxic masculinity in my '90s book series. I thought that was a uh, baller as shit. It was baller. Rachel is a baller. K A Apple. K A Applegate is K A Applegate. Also, this well, since we're talking about gender, this made me think of um the fact that the gender makeup of this party. <laughs> Like it's a D and D session. Oh, this party is really interesting because we have two guys, mm-hmm. two right. girls, and a and a bird. <laughs> no, that's what I was gonna say. Two girls, two guys, and a bird. And I'm not saying that Tobias is like non-binary or anything like that, but he is not a boy mm-hmm. or a man. He's a bird. Like, yeah. No, now that gen- you mention it, that's a good point because in everyone's like description of him even when rachel is describing him not in bird form but as like as he was in human form they do kind of describe him as like just like kind of ambiguously like they mostly talk about his eyes <laughs> which i think is they nice. do mostly talk about his eyes he's very gentle that's what they describe him as mm-hmm. mostly um and I don't think this is gonna happen since this was published in 1998 and very few people knew what being non-binary or being gender non-conforming were. But I think it would be really cool if there was some sort of element of, like, Tobias figuring out how his gender works when he's a bird. Because gender is a human invention. There's still sex. Tobias yeah. is a male bird. But he is not a boy. He is a bird. Like, that's... I'm I don't know if birds that. have gender or gender roles. They're animals. <laughs> How could you not have a gender crisis when you're trapped in the body of a bird? Like, I would. I would. I was, yeah. I'm already having a gender crisis, but we don't need to talk about that. You're trapped in the body of humans. Yeah, I. we don't need to get like, into all that. We don't, we don't need, we don't to, need unpack to unpack that, that today. <laughs> <laughs> really but I, I, with this podcast. Um, you know what? I'm putting myself out there. I'm coming out as a fool and that clown. My gender is clown. But <laughs> I thought it was fool. <laughs> my gender, I'm I'm gender fluid between fool and clown. Oh, thank you for thank you for telling us. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. But anyway, I do think it's an interesting question because it really does make the group feel like totally equal. Like we have. We've got equal number of dudes, equal number of ladies, and equal number of Tobias. Equal number of Tobias, of bird. Of bird. Bird friend. Um, 
So yeah. What was I gonna say? Oh, another thing that I think is interesting about the dynamic of the group, um, that I I really like it when this happens in series when there's like a relatively small group of people who have shared collective trauma um Mm -hmm. is how obsessed they are are with each other like yeah they're kind of obsessed with each other and i don't think that's an obsession that hurts anybody (laughs) they're friends yeah um but i they're trauma bonded now sorry like they're trauma buddies woohoo trauma also they're bound by the fact that they're the only ones on earth aside from the yerks who understand anything about what's happening and what is mm-hmm. about to happen to the earth if they fail like imagine what that does to a group's collective psyche imagine I what can... that does to a group of like 13 or 14 year olds yeah like i would be honestly surprised if they weren't all obsessed with each other because they're literally yeah. the only ones that are keeping each other alive they're the only the ones world alive. yeah it's cray cray it's cray at least until the andalites show up which could oh, be we'll get Could be. <sighs> Who knows? Who knows? I was wrong last week, but we'll get into we'll get into why at the at the end. But but anyway, this a large part of this part of the book is is mostly just a recap. But we do learn about Melissa Chapman, who is one of Rachel's best friends and uh, Chapman's daughter, which sucks for her. It, suck. it sucks to suck. I will say. And with the way they describe Melissa, they describe her very similarly to Tom. So I thought, and they they threw me for a curveball here, but I thought Melissa was a controller. Uh, I fell for it. Yeah, I fell for it too. I have Um, it in my notes. I was like, she's she's good. I I have it right under a note that says that that says in all caps. This is so fucking sad. Um, That's. (laughs) <laughs> that You're right. That Melissa is it, the actual note says Melissa is a controller, bro. Yeah, Which mine says really- you can't introduce a character as being out of it and not like themselves and not have me pick up the fact that they're a controller. I was wrong, and I'm sorry. It just seems <laughs> suspicious. Just seems suspicious. Yeah, she's she's just really sad, and we'll we'll talk about it um pretty pretty soon. But she's just really, really sad. Um, but the kids decide they're going to use Melissa to get to Chapman, which I agree with Rachel that this is kind of shady and pretty shitty. Um, and also, I have to say, why not just turn into a, a small creature again? Like, I know they say later on that, like, it's a bit impractical to turn into, like, a bug or a mouse, mm-hmm. but I think that because those creatures are harder to spy inside of. But I think that there's better ways of doing this than making Rachel lie to one of her, like, closest friends. Absolutely, absolutely there is. But also consider they're 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Oh, I'm considering. Sub- <laughs> subterfuge is all the rage when you're a tween. Um... <laughs> I don't know. That's a real good quote. I don't get that tattooed on my body. Subterfuge <laughs> is all the rage when you're a teen. That sounds like that I sounds like a um, that sounds like a Sufjan Stevens lyric. 
That sounds like a, a bony Bear li- lyric. Like, you can hear that on 22 a million. So I think that's the nicest thing that anyone has ever said to me. <laughs> Subterfuge is all the rage when you're a tween, tween, tween. Like, get on it, bony Bear. I'm wow. giving you gold here. We're giving you golden lyrics. Anyway. Um, I, <laughs> not Hozier. <laughs> Sorry, but you're right. I don't know. Uh, no, no, no. You're right. I think I don't listen to I I I am. I feel like I'm the only lesbian in the world who doesn't listen to Hozier. Hozier? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So, um, I still yeah, think okay. so she goes. She goes to the gym. Yeah. Comes home. Can we talk? Can we talk about that scene when she's coming home? Um, oh, we'll get to. Yeah, home. we'll get. That was that was creepy. But I do have some things to say about the gym. Um, I use here's the things. I was a gymnast for like ten years before I started acting and got fat. <laughs> but, um, I I. I I, this gym was described exactly as the gym that I went to, and that just really threw me off. Also, I found it funny that they described Melissa as a Tolkien elf. That was just funny to me. Um, I do love that. And this is also where I realized Melissa wasn't a controller. She just had depression, which is ah, mm-hmm. so sad. Uh, but now, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rachel walks home. I'm very uncomfortable with the energy we've created in the studio today. <laughs> the, I, first of all, first of all, let me just say, gross, gross. Second of all, Rachel, an absolute queen, an absolute baller. I love that she, the, 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 visual, the visual of her not morphing into an elephant all the way. So she's just got like trunk legs, like the elephant legs and a tail. And like a long trunk nose and just scaring the shit out of a pedophile. It just makes me happy inside. Creeped out. Yeah. But no, yeah. Don't well, we it's, all it's funny. To do that? Yeah, it's funny because you mentioned last time that the thing that the description that upset you the most in the last book was uh <laughs> uh Rachel's half elephant. Yeah. It's <laughs> so. a disgusting image, but I will say, though, I will say, though, this reminded me of a trope in a lot of, um, like, supernatural kinds of fiction, where Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's the supernatural cure for street harassment, is what I called it. Like, um, Mm -hmm. because the thing that gets the creep to go away is, like, mid-elephant transformation, um, which I feel like in any, in most stories where a female character has some kind of powers, this is how they deal with, like, street harassment. Like, I can't think of a of a, of, of a piece of media that doesn't have a harassment being solved with, like, supernatural means. Like, I can't think of one. Like, where it's, like, a superhero lady, and, I, and she, like, breaks his wrist with, his super, with her super strength. Like, I can't think of one where it's just a normal woman, you know? And I don't have a... I don't have a problem with it. This is not criticism of Animorphs, but I wish in more fiction we could just see a normal woman like able to have the, you know, the gumption and the, I don't know if it's strength because it's just, you know, the I don't know. to just but break a man's just, wrist 
Um, no, not even to break a wrist, but just to like in some way stop street harassment without special powers. Because I, I feel like I feel like it makes them sort of like I know this isn't the intended message, but it does at least sometimes to me feel like the subliminal messaging is like the way to stop street harassment is to be is to have magical powers. Yeah, and that, and no one has superpowers in real life. Yeah, it does kind of unintentionally deliver the message that like there is no way to stop street harassment without being unnaturally good at something. At something, whether it be magical powers or kicking ass or like fighting, I don't know. Um and it does make me sad um it does kind of feel like it it feels like that kind of like girl boss feminism yeah it's very girl boss (laughs) feminism (laughs) i can't say it it does feel very girl boss to me where it's like diet feminism yeah no you're right you're right it is it's like diet capitalist feminism yeah it's like the appearance of progression without actually doing anything um, we not- need more black female drone pilots it's that mm-hmm. like and yeah. again i i don't want to criticize i'm not criticizing animals because i think this scene is great mm-hmm. i'm just asking for more media that's just about normal women normally being able to deal with their problems because otherwise i i don't care about things being relatable you know, I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't, that's just not something I care about. Like, this isn't relatable to me, but it's interesting and it's engaging and stuff. Yeah, like, as much as this scene did fill me with, like, confusion, because I don't really, I don't endorse or really appreciate that kind of diet girl boss um, trope, um, it did fill me with satisfaction, just because, like, I think we've all been, at least I can speak for myself like I've been harassed and I wish there was something that like I could have had some sort of supernatural power to make it stop um but also it felt this scene felt unnecessary to me like why do we have to have harassment scenes already these guys are traumatized enough I don't think we need to like add on normal people trauma I guess no I can see where that comes from I'm of the camp where, like, if you can, uh, well, like, in a, like, accurately or at least interestingly portray a real world problem, then put it in your book 100%. Because it's just like a fact of life that, Mm -hmm. like, Rachel is a pretty blonde, taller Mm -hmm. 13 year old. And that happens. Like, that happens. 13 year old, 12 year old, 11 year old girls get harassed on the street all the Mm -hmm. time. You know, and I and I actually I commend Applegate for putting this in the book because it's mm-hmm. I think it's something that doesn't get talked about like ever in children's media. Okay, because, that's a good point. But 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 I do think though that my point about normal people being able to solve normal problems still stands, and mm-hmm. and as we see later on, uh, uh, Rachel morphing is is still a pretty dumb decision even when taking out the gender politics. It's still not the smartest thing to do, you know? Because mm-hmm. Rutro yeah, Chapman shows up. <laughs> like, her shoes are busted, and she thinks she's going to get caught. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, 
I think it is, it's interesting. But, but yeah, so Chapman shows up. He's in a car with Melissa. And uh, luckily, uh, Rachel was not an elephant when Chapman showed up. But her shoes get all fucked up, which is sad. Poor shoes. I do love the line at the end where she's like, I told you I needed new shoes. I was like, good job. <laughs> um, good job for this, lying on the spot. This uh, ride, I don't know. It was creepy, creepy, creepy. The whole vibes were bad, especially mm-hmm. when Chapman is like, I know where you live. I, know where you I was like, like I don't know. No, <laughs> I don't like that. Especially after we just had a scene where there was like a creeper. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but like, I mean, we know now that it was nothing and Chapman mm-hmm. didn't suspect her, but like, <laughs> don't like that. It was creepy. It's creepy. I do like how, though, whenever... Um, one of the kids almost gets caught. They they immediately think of their friends. They think of the other animorphs and they say like, "Oh God, I can't get caught because then they're gonna get caught." Mm-hmm. I think that's just so. That just really shows how tight knit they already are, and I really liked it. Absolutely, I have a note in here on like third page of notes after I read reread this. It's just, it is so impressive and also so heartbreaking how ready these kids are to die for yeah it's really sad it i mean i think that's like a it's heartbreaking yeah um but it it also goes to show just how much their group dynamic has like evolved over one book yeah in like two weeks of time between the books yeah um i think the uh when we get the i think probably the next book is marco's perspective mm-hmm. um when we get that we're gonna see how he feels about almost dying because i assume they're gonna almost die in every book i'm just mm-hmm. making that assumption I think this is gonna be a common th- and this is gonna be a thing because you know war uh but marco is the one who was the most uh reluctant to join the conflict because you know he does not want to die because of his dad yeah i completely understandable which yeah as i agree with um but but all of these kids you know are willing to die for each other and i think that marco is too but i'm 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 very curious to see how that will play out in uh in his book Mm -hmm. yeah but uh uh rachel does get home safe and we get to meet her mom who she is a lives. queen. Her mom's a lawyer. This made me uh, want pizza. Just saying. It did. It made me want pizza, too. I love pizza. And Chinese food. I know. Oh. I know you do. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to yell into the mic. <laughs> um, Coward. But, uh, d- no. I don't want to blow the ears out. Um, <laughs> but Rachel, uh, she calls up the Animorphs, which is, a l- I don't know, that name is a little bit silly. They have a team name. A team the name. Fantastic Four. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like that they name themselves. Uh, they talk about the Fantastic Four later. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but but a lot of them agree that the morphing was pretty dumb, which it was super fucking dumb. Um, and I I note this. I noted this down. Something that I really like about the morphing is that it's treated as a very serious thing. I mm-hmm. firmly believe that this book series is not wish fulfillment at all. Um. Mm-hmm. Like not at least not primarily. Like some kids might think, oh, it's fun to turn into a um a, a, an animal, but they're constantly reminded whenever they morph that like, oh, gotta make sure there's no yerks around. But there always yeah. can be. Like 
it's it's a this tool absolutely and i like has that. no room for escapism yeah um, this is not an, a, a a a fun fantasy for the kids this is to not escapist sci-fi it's not it's not like star wars how star wars can be fun and like you still want to live in the star wars universe even though mm-hmm. there's constant war god i do uh <laughs> death this is like there's there's no room for wish fulfillment yeah, there's no easy decisions. There's no room for for escapism. There is just a, a war. And and I yeah, even, I really like I think, that. Even like when they're up in the air flying as birds, they're being shot at by teenagers. And they're even like thinking like how if I transform to a human, I'm dead. Yeah. Like, there's like constant if I reminders of it. Back right now, I'm going to hit the ground and die. Um, I like it. And I think that's why I the, like it too. It's refreshing. I think that's why the moments of humor throw me off. Just because I don't think you can't have humor in like your serious book series. I think that most things can benefit from some form of humor, even if it's like a kind of sarcastic humor, like in Hamlet. But a lot of this humor just ends up, I feel like, kind of muddling with the tone. Um, but we'll get to that later when they talk about the Fantastic Four. Um, but the kids decide. <laughs> they drag the Fantastic God, they, as they, they should. They really as they should talk about their outfits for a long time. Um, but the kids decide they can't use Melissa, so it's Morphin time. And I wrote down Mighty Morphin Trauma Rangers, which you do with that what you will. Um, <laughs> but also, this made me think. Of, are the I was wondering, are the kids actually thirteen? I might have been wrong about this. Because Rachel looks at a picture of her and Melissa that was like, to quote the book, her 12th birthday or some birthday of or, or anything. But the picture is from a couple years ago. So I think the kids might be older than we thought. I still cannot see them. Maybe it's because the kids on the covers are, they look like 10 year olds. But I can't. They do kind of look bit much younger. I cannot see them as like 15 or 16. I see Tom as 16. Or 17. But I can't see these kids as older or, or as even like high school aged. I, I can't. I can see them as like freshman year of high school because I'm fairly sure that Jake and Tom go to the same school. I see freshman year of high school, but I also, I don't know why. Maybe I just, I don't know. I keep seeing them as like eighth graders, which is like 13, yeah. maybe 14. But I mean, I could be wrong. No, none of the ages have, have been stated because, you know, there's this like element of anonymity uh, throughout this whole thing, uh, which I also think is really cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't know. Yeah, this is so interesting to think about. I have one sibling who is 13, and I have one sibling who is 15. Actually, one of them, the younger one's turning 13 tomorrow. Um, Happy so early birthday. I, I will tell them. Um, it's just so interesting because they're so different in terms of like ability and maturity that I think that really yeah kind of changes how we would look at these characters depending on their age. Yeah. Also, another thing about the covers, I mean, fashion in the nineties. It was not. Was like, it was not solid. It was, it was not great. It was not great. I mean, I feel like kids these days, <laughs> kids these days, but like off my fucking lawn. Like my younger siblings are so much more fashionable oh yeah even now the the tiktok it's the tiktok 
experience. Yeah, like they they have it going on. Like they look so put together and so fashionable. I still <laughs> look very uncoordinated most days. Um, Girl, I'm in my Like, well, yeah. I mean, I got professional headshots done today, so I look a little better than I normally would. I've worn <laughs> and, um, these pants like a week in a row that's fantastic we didn't need to know that i'm really putting myself on blast for this podcast (laughs) you really are i have some secrets but not many that's true (laughs) i prefer not to be perceived oh we know (laughs) um but anyway uh the kids decide they see a picture of the cat and they decide to use the cat and I don't buy this. This is my main problem with this part of the book. I don't buy this because Rachel and Melissa are like established to be really, really, really close. Like Melissa is Rachel's second best friend. So Mm -hmm. Rachel would definitely immediately remember that Melissa has a cat that she can morph into, right? Like I'm not, I'm not reaching, right? Because I know certain people in my classes like have pets and I'm not even friends with them. So, Rachel, we've established that she's smart enough to know, I feel like, that Fluffer exists. And and even if... Even she does if, know that Fluffer exists. I know. Wait, I'm confused. Well, because this is when she realizes that, oh, right, my best friend has a cat that I can turn into. True. But why doesn't she realize I mean, that earlier? I mean, I don't know. I feel like normally I'm fairly smart i don't know you've been friends with me for an extendable amount of time um like i feel like i'm reasonably smart and i have a reasonably good memory but like i know when i'm like depressed and recalling like traumatic experiences my memory goes out the window i know i can't remember anything about anyone and i get that i get that but i feel like these kids these kids are established as even though they're going through trauma and having nightmares, they're not that dumb. Rachel might be that dumb because she's, you know, very headstrong and very, I don't know if she's dumb. I think she's impulsive. Maybe from the writing perspective, this was the only way to like gracefully, I think so segue into like the next chapter, because I know, I mean, um, I mean, sometimes I write for fun. I will write stories for fun. And even though like a character might remember something, it is sometimes easier to make them forget something just so you can have an easier transition into the next I know, part of the I thing. know, but I can't help but even at the expense of the characters. Um Yeah. I can't I can't help but feel like there could have been some better way to do this. Like maybe maybe they decide to like I don't know. Maybe they decide to like still do the fluffer thing, but they also still want some intel from Melissa as to what's going on. So then we could get even more discussions with Melissa about like her mental state and we could hear more about her. That is just one possible path that I don't know how well that would work. I'm not a, I'm not the author of these books. Um, but I still think that this is a misstep because it makes kids seem dumber than I know they are like cassie would have immediately asked if melissa has any pets like i don't know but maybe this is just pedantic nitpicking but 
this this choice was the one rub, the one wrinkle I had in this book that kind of made me a little bit, you know, oh. I didn't even think about that, to be honest with you. That's valid. Um, That's super valid. Yeah. This is, I, I do think this is somewhat pedantic, but I just, I'm, I'm a fan of characters being as intelligent as they are established to be. And these kids are established to be smart and clever and trauma and, and you know, traumatized, but still smart. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but the kids decide to kidnap Fluffer, which is the name of the cat. It's named uh, I love Fluffer McKit Fluffer McKitty. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that was very that was very cute. I really liked that name. It's very in character for a twelve year old to name name a cat. I love that. Yeah, it's very cute. Um, but they decide, since these kids can't kidnap this cat, Rachel is going to morph into a shrew. I-, I don't know. Cassie literally describes how a cat can kill a shrew. I feel like... Well, Rachel is a daredevil. I know Rachel, I know Rachel is a daredevil. And here's the thing. I don't have a problem with danger and high stakes. And I think that makes the story more interesting. But I think that when the high stakes come from characters' decision or... or come from decisions that that seem dumb or or um obligatory or out of character for a character to make i don't know i think it just uh spoils it a little bit for me but she does Mm -hmm. morph into a shrew (laughs) she does morph into a shrew and i thought i don't know i found that whole scene fascinating oh i I just love it when they morph into animals i thought that was so cool i i just I mean, I think especially in this scene, um, like K.A. Applegate does such a good job just with descriptive mm-hmm. imagery, um, as well as just making you feel like you're actually in yeah. the mind of a shrew, um, which was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I loved it for what came after of her nightmare about- Oh, God. Um, can we just talk about that? Oh my I god, it was gross. It. it was gross. All of the oh my god, it was really really nasty. All of the maggot shit was disgusting. Like I really wrote down maggots. Ew, worst grossest. <laughs> ugh, it's really really <laughs> gross. I sorry if I just blew out your uh headphones but i i had a very okay. strong feelings about that that nightmare was gross it was nasty um i also think it's interesting that we learn uh when she calms down that animals have certain temperaments while they're morphing um mm-hmm. which makes sense which makes sense like that's why you know smaller animals just just naturally are more skittish because like you know they're small they're babies. Yeah, Applegate knows her animal homework. She has done her... She has read the zoo books. She... Right. She is uh, watching Nat Geo. Um, and we stan. Uh, we do stan. Okay, this is off topic. Um, but this is something I wanted to talk about. Is Can we just, like, talk about what some banger lines Cassie has? Oh! This entire book? My has, God. 
when Marco gets scratched or something, he's like, oh, I'm bleeding. She goes, we're all bleeding. What a <laughs> fucking baller, dude. What? I love Cassie so much. I love this hippie. <laughs> She's such I a... I love she this has, horse girl. Like, she literally has the best lines of anyone in the entire book. Um, did I write any of most of them down? No. Of course I didn't. Um, no, but that's okay. But, if you'll read the book, audience... You'll know. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> oh? Oh, nothing. Her other banger line that I did write down is when they're in the construction site and they're talking about when they were down at the Yerk pool. Um, Yerk. She has this line and she goes, you know what's worse than the screams? The way they stop screaming. Once oh, they yeah. That's fucked. And you know they're slaves again. Lost. And I was like, God damn, Cassie. Well, uh, she she's intense and i love it um you wouldn't expect it because like again with the expectation subversion cassie is you know established to be like the horse girl the tree hugger she's kind of a hippie she's like softer more like mm -hmm. like gentle but she's she's a peacemaker but she she knows how to say those words letter <laughs> and i really that are just, I just love oh, it so wrong whenever she has one of those banger lines because it just like, you're constantly, throughout the book, reminded of the stakes. But I think she really, like, puts, hits it right on the head with, like, those really poignant lines that literally just, like, um, reaffirm all of how high the stakes are. Mm -hmm. I mean, with Tobias and also with the fact that now Jake and Rachel both have a personal connection to someone who who has um whose lives have been affected mm. um and like taken over by the yerks um like jake with his brother and rachel with melissa's family um yeah like now the stakes are very personal personal again um yeah i think it's interesting that um all these kids have something or someone to lose um, mm -hmm. and I think that w when we get the next three perspectives of Cassie, Marco, and Tobias, um, we're going to each get, like, there's going to be some, some figure, like, some character that really draws them forth into the conflict. Because we've got Tom for, or Tom for Jake, uh, Melissa for Rachel. I think that it's mm -hmm. either going to be marco's dad or marco's mm -hmm. mom because the thing is there's a line in this book where it's she like went she went missing they never well, she probably drowned but they never found her body i think she's gonna come back and i think it's gonna be something related to um the 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 and the war I, it has to be because like why else would they bring it up um yeah maybe she was taken maybe i or, i don't know i don't know but I'm I'm very excited. I really really can't wait for Marco's book. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think the only uh, Tobias in terms of stakes is so fascinating because he has no one to lose, but he has nothing to yeah. lose um, except for his human mind. <laughs> his human, yeah, his human mind or his in his human body. But he is like he cares about no one else except for his friends. Um, yeah, I think Tobias. Which I think is really interesting. I think Tobias is really interesting, and I think that, at least right now, the impression that I get from him, or, or the impression that I think is going to happen, is that 
Tobias, again, doesn't really have any other family and or friends except for these kids. And I think that the thing that is going to drive him is the desire to complete the mission before he loses his human ability to think. Mm-hmm. Before he completely becomes a bird. Because once he becomes a bird, he can't do anything. He's just a yeah, bird. because like... In this book, he seems stable, but then again, we don't really know his, like, his psychological process. I wonder if we'll get a book narrated from Tobias's perspective. I think we have to, right? But I don't yeah, know. Just that... None of the covers. But, but that's like, the thing humans. is, I don't know if we will, because uh, these, these books are being told from the end, you know? Like they're they're True. warnings, and if they if we get a book from Tobias's perspective, then that means that we know that he is fine in the end. Which I don't know, I don't know if I would like that because I like the pers- the stakes of like will he or won't he fucking die, you know? Like 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 metaphorically, I mean, mm-hmm. like will Tobias the human like be lost forever so i don't i don't know i think it's really interesting though sure yeah characters who have nothing to lose who have pretty much already lost everything which i think tobias can fall under um Mm -hmm. because like he doesn't it's not like he really wants to maintain his human mind for himself i feel like it's just more for the sake of his friends um so i'm not sure if he'll really care Uh, that sounds terrible but I'm no, not no, sure no, if like he'll care saying. for himself um, if he loses if he loses his mind. So the characters who have nothing to lose because they've already lost everything are so fascinating. I think you're yeah, yeah. I agree. They are really interesting. Um, um, back on to back on track. Uh, Rachel goes to school. She and Jake talk about morphing into small animals, and apparently all the kids get weird animal dreams, which is really interesting because. They aren't occupying an animal brain anymore, but they still have memories of what that's like. Yeah, it's it's like that's part really of cool. the mind of the animal, um, or at least the memories of the animal. Them. Yeah, yeah, which would be, you know, what it's going to be so interesting because what if hypothetically they acquire the DNA the the DNA of one of like the alien henchmen um, mm. of Visor Three. And then in their dreams, they have memories oh. of that alien, so they can like kind of spy oh. on Visitor Three in retrospect. That's really that cool. So cool. That would be really fucking cool. cool. But then they'd have to get like really close is... to a one of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is like that whole dream when they were talking about the dreams and how like memories, how like the memories of the animal are still inside their brains. That felt like foreshadowing to me. I could be wrong. Yeah. I smell foreshadowing. There's so much foreshadowing in these books. And I think Applegate is really good at it. She's really good at it. And she's really good at throwing me a curveball. Like, I definitely, we both thought Melissa was a controller. Turns out, depression. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what? Speaking of Melissa, uh, Rachel gets to school. She tries to talk to Melissa. I feel really, really bad for her. This poor fucking girl, man. Isn't there, there's like Mm -hmm. a line somewhere where it's like, like, Melissa wasn't a controller. She was just dealing with the fact that her parents no longer loved her. Yeah. Oh! My heart! Man, my fucking heart. That hurt. That hurt. That made me Pretty... sad. 
Every child of family trauma felt that, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, Jinkies. Fully, fully in the heart. Oh, yeah. You know I did. Uh, um, she runs into Chapman pretty spookle. Nothing happens. Cool stuff. Nothing happens. Um, and then they go back to, we, to the Chapman house. Yeah, household. the night finally comes. It's like three days later. The night finally comes where Rachel is gonna invade the Chapman's home. And Marco has this really interesting line where he says, like, like Rachel says, like, I'm gonna save Melissa. And, and Marco is like, it's not your job to save Melissa Chapman. And I thought that was really interesting because that's, a, that's mm-hmm. a huge difference from what happens later where Rachel basically dedicates her fight in this war to Melissa Chapman. And, and I think that's very indicative of Marco's way of, of, of approaching this is he can't think about you know, individual people. He has to think about the overall goal because if he thinks about individual people, he'll think of his dad and how... Yeah, he. I think that is... It is really funny because he's telling her... It's kind of ironic, but it makes sense because he's talking, telling her, you can't dedicate your fight to this, to individual people when his entire reason for living and his dad's entire reason for living like they're dedicated to each other yeah who are individual people so it's kind of ironic but it's also really telling of marco's like psychological state and moral code yeah and and marco is even in kind of in this fight for for jake because he says like i am fighting to save tom once i've saved tom i am done which i don't think Mm -hmm. is going to be true yeah, we all know that's going to be a lie. That's right? a lie. There's 54 books in this series. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think Marco's it's really interesting. Of most mobs. Yeah, I really like Marco. I think he's a really, really interesting character. But um, Rachel morphs into Fluffer. Now, here's the thing. I don't own a cat. But this seems 100% accurate to how cats are. Yeah, as someone who has owned a absolutely giant muscular um neutered but still very arrogant tomcat absolutely 100 percent. this is very accurate yeah they um, are confident and arrogant like yeah i thought that was really funny <laughs> yeah my cat would walk around he'd just be looking at everything he's like what it's like, i can beat you up yeah but, i'm the king um, of this house what do you want yeah, literally. I, when I had a king, when I had a cat, his name was King. He is the king of the house. Or at least they think they are, and I think that's really funny. Um, yeah, when, he, my cat beat up a coyote one time. My cat beat up a fox! Solidarity! Um, Solidarity. No, that, yeah, that, he got in a fight with a fox. He won. Uh, he got no injuries. I might have told you this. He got no injuries, except that his one of his canine teeth was pushed into his brain. And he almost died, but he survives because King was a... But otherwise, a, he was fine. A badass and an asshole. Yeah, my cat beat up a coyote and only got um, all of the fur on his chest and one leg ripped off. Cheesy, crazy. He showed up to my house all bloody. What a king. <laughs> he was a pure white cat. Just oh my god. Blood. That is that is metal as fuck. King That's shit. raw as shit. Um, yeah. But yeah, Rachel gets into the Chapman home and she smells all the people. That's mm-hmm. how I wrote and that. Then, and then Chapman goes down to a secret oh, layer. I want to. I want to say like she. This was so creepy to me. 
uh, she finds Chapman just sitting, looking at a yeah. blank TV. I blank TV, no that. music, nothing. I was so creepy. Um, and the same with Mrs. Chapman, who is also, we learned very shortly, occupied by a year, <laughs> by a year you know, occupado. Uh, that was very, very creepy. Um, but he gets up, goes to the basement. Rachel follows him very secret. And he, like, opens a... A, a star trek door yeah he like opens a wall or so, yeah it's a door behind the door oh right um anyway and then a hologram oh yeah he of... yeah chap uh viscer three calls in he <laughs> he's a facetime okay okay he he does a zoom he does a zoom call <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. i love that okay, that, I, that i have tickles me <laughs> Can we can we talk about Visser Three? Can we please? I love him. Can I have I have a I have a theory or a question? Mm. Okay. So I could be wrong. I'm often wrong. But here here's some of my thoughts about Visser Free. Multiple times in this book, he references like he's talking to one of his henchmen and he talks about the um Andalite body that he's possessing. Mm. Um and he's like, how do you think, he's like, you think I let this Andalite within me have co- any part of, like, any control or anything? Um, and also in the first book, when he's talking to the Andalite that helps the kids, Prince, Prince Elfie. Yeah. Um, he recognizes that he's Andalite royalty. Um Oh. And the Andalite recognizes him also with a certain level of fear. I'm like, I think I know where Visser you're getting III, with this. Yeah, is Visser Three has he captured a royal Andalite body? Ooh, is he? Uh, I don't know. Is that what makes him so dangerous? I don't. Know. I feel like Visser Three is baller enough to do it. Oh yeah, he would definitely do it. Like even if not, like even if like. Just for the status, just for the mm-hmm. like, just to say that he did, just to say he could. just to flex yeah. on him, you know. I, 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 I don't. I think that's very, very interesting. Um, it's a really interesting idea. I, I really hope that <laughs> I really hope that he he did do that. I think um, that'd be very cool. I could be wrong, but I have a feeling. Like did, I don't I don't know how Andalites work. I don't know if they have a monarchy, you know, whatever kind of like power structure, power hierarchy they have. But uh, what I mean, what if Visser Three captured the body of like the leader of the Andalite Ooh. people, which is why they're so crippled, which, which is like why they're so scattered and they can't come to rescue earth is because their leader um is viscer three's host maybe i don't know i think we learn a lot of very interesting things about yerk culture in this mm-hmm. in this part um like uh we learn though that the that the they did i feel like they it's implied that they did a genocide on the Andalites, mm-hmm. they, they killed all of them. Um, which, except, well, technically there's one of them still alive, and it's the, it's the body that 
that Visser yeah. 3 is occupying, which is very, very, very fucked up to think about. Um, but I think that's really, really interesting. Because um, I wonder if it's possible... It's not possible for humans to be able to immediately tell if something is uh, occupied by a Yerk. So I'm wondering no. if Andalites can. Because they're more, you know, like telepathically advanced than humans. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I do not know. Well... I don't think they can because otherwise when Rachel was spying on Visser on the Zoom call between Chapman and Visser 3 um, in the walk-in closet (laughs) in the basement. Oh, I love Todd. um, I love it. (laughs) um, He was like, what is that? Because he noticed her. Mm. He would, and he said right away, he was like, oh, that must be an Andalite. But then she was able to convince them that she was just a stupid cat. Oh, right. he would have been able to pick up with with being able with like controlling that andalite body that uh she was an animal yeah if andalites were able to do that yeah that's super interesting i do think then though you have to be right like because otherwise well there's there's two reasons then why elfie could have recognized um uh, viscer three it, uh, one he has occupied the body of some sort of very important Andalite, whether it's the leader or just some uh, uh, higher up, a noble of some mm-hmm. kind. That's one reason. But the other reason he could have identified Visser Three as Visser Three is that Elfie and Visser Three were the last two Andalites left. Maybe. I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. Or like it could be like a nemesis. Thing. Like, you know how you, there's just that one person that you just hate and you can just <laughs> recognize them. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, away. Andalites probably have differences between each other. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. But I do genu- I do feel like those two Andalites have to be the last two. I mean, unless they are, like you said, just like very scattered. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think we won't know more until... Andalites actually do show up, which they, they they keep talking about it. They gotta show up eventually. <laughs> they have to show up eventually. Um, well, okay, but they can't be the last two alive because um, Visor Three thinks that the kids are Andalites. I know, but I think that's I think that's Andalites. why he is like so adamant on finding them is because he thought he killed them all. So that's why he's like, Mayhaps. what? There's more of them? The fuck is this? I did my <laughs> job so good. I did my job so good. I killed them bitches one by one and I stole the body. Like, I am the bossest bitch in the house. What the fuck is this? Like, what the fuck is what up, What the Kyle? fuck is up, uh, Andalite? But yeah, I think the relationship between the Yerks and the Andalites and Visser Three is going to be explored later when we get more of this world. But I do think that this book already raises some very, very interesting questions. True, and not to be, not to be a snooper, a snooping, snooping. But I was looking at the covers. There is an Andalite on one of them. There is an Andalite on one of them so there has to be more even if they're in hiding and even if Visser 3 thinks he did a 
he didn't he, he, he did a genocide um and got and got all of them got all the snail deer scorpion people um he didn't a very calm so, and gentle looking <laughs> and they're terrifying awful, terrifying not. terrifying creatures um but yeah i think it's super interesting oh we also learn in this zoom call we learn about the the yerk organization a little bit there's this thing called the Council of Thirteen, which makes me think. Mm, right. Which makes me think there are thirteen vissers. Oh, uh, uh, I think. So. I uh, think. I think because this we have visser three. That would make sense. Is maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe. I love thirteen reasons why. Oh God. Oh <laughs> no, thirteen yerks. Why? Um, that's that's. There's a <laughs> comma after yerks, so it's thirteen yerks. Why? Why? Uh, um, oh, and you know what else I thought was really interesting in terms of like yeek, yeek, yeek. yeek. <laughs> this bitch uh, empty. Yeek. <laughs> no, dude, that's yeek. wait, that's what they, that's what the yerks do when they're done with their host. <laughs> this bitch empty. Yerk. Into the pool. Oh. Um. What was I saying? I don't know. Oh, I remember. Okay. Um, <laughs> when another thing that's interesting about your culture is remember when Visser Three was showing um, Chapman or as Innis oh yeah Innis two two six two four Innis two two six what happened to another um, of the Yerks? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, he was talking to his wife, and he was like, "That's what," and she was like he would do that to Innis 211 it would be like a second century and i was like are yeeks or yerks like kind of immortal and are you talking is like is there a hierarchy in terms of how old yerks are and to, like they're categorized by numbers in terms of like centuries mm. like those numbers mean something yeah they said something about like centuries in this book like they say like he killed a yerk of the something century so maybe like mm -hmm. your century is either either or like your power level like how strong you get stronger over the centuries or you like just have more status you, you have more status as you get older because it's like yeah i survived you should respect me but like that's why it's such a big deal that visser killed that one guy because that one guy was like a very old uh, Yerk, I don't know. I think we're going to learn more about all of this. Or, mm -hmm. and I think it would be very ballsy to have this element of the unknown about the Yerks. Because, like, the more you understand something, the I argue that sometimes the less you fear them, you know? And I think what's one of the things mm -hmm. that makes the Yerks so scary is that you, we don't know everything about them. We don't even know how many Vissers there are. We don't know if Visser 3 is, like, a fucking baby compared to like the others you know yeah and i think that yeah, that really yeah. does like heighten everything it's like everything could be so much worse and we don't even know uh, but i just also think your culture is interesting and i want to learn more i me too your culture major in york still a very um, very hard name to say doesn't get easier um no yeah yeah <laughs> uh rachel gets spotted in the zoom call but everything's fine <laughs> Everything's fine until it's not the second time when she goes back. Oh yeah, everything's and not on her back. Oh, but I, by accident. Yeah, but we also learn that 
Mrs. Chapman is also a controller, which becomes very relevant at the end of this book when we learn that Chapman, the Chapman Chapman, is like a good guy and actually mm-hmm. pretty pretty awesome. Because uh, he's like fighting yeah. the yerk in his head. And I, this is what made me think. You know, last time we said that Chapman was going to be the villain, like the first mm-hmm. um, yeah, like, villain yeah. of the series, kind of. I don't so much just believe that anymore. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I mean, at the beginning, I could have seen it. Like, they definitely made it seem like that with how creepy he was and everything. Like, picking up Rachel in the car. But now that we see that the Chapman inside his head is still alive. Yeah. It's just, I don't see him being a villain anymore. I mean, anymore. and we learn later on, too, towards the end of the book, that uh, Chapman is technically a voluntary controller, but it's not real consent because he was threatened by mm-hmm. by Mrs. Chapman's uh, yerk into saying like, if he was, he was um, a volunteer. Yeah, he was. Yeah, she. No, was she? She was. I don't. I can't remember. If she. Yeah, I remember him saying that she, it was. It was she that wanted to to join uh, the yerks, and he didn't. But he did as long as they promised to leave Melissa out of it. Yeah, but I yeah I think you might be right, but I do think there's still some element of like threatening coercion into consent, right? Because because oh, Mrs. Chapman absolutely. says like I will let them go after our daughter if you don't join, and and I think that mm-hmm. is already putting some because sh- in the first book it's sort of like it feels a little bit black and white where it's like you either are a a not consenting your controller or you are. You know, those are the only two kinds we see in the first book. But we're already seeing a lot of nuance here where it's like you're there's shades of gray in terms of how real someone's consent is, which I thought was really, really, really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The the second night, uh, Rachel goes back in the basement and she gets caught because, you know, Visser 3 is a very smart little worm. Um. But and then I said, but what's this? Chapman, the man, fights against uh Innis two two six, and it's great. And yeah, I really like Chapman now. But you know, yeah. it doesn't work because Innis two two six takes control again, and uh, he he gets Rachel. Oh, by the way, Jake is a flea. Jake is a flea. Jake is a flea. Um, uh, Love that who just showed up. You know, because cause Rachel, Rachel, when they were talking and planning it, Rachel was like, I'm going in alone, you guys. I'm a lone wolf. And then Jake was like, okay. And then there was like a throwaway line that's like, the size, like, 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 you can't even morph into something as small as a flea. He did. <laughs> How he did you get a flea? I have no clue. I don't know. Pet it. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could, I could, I could find a bug. As we discussed last time, I can find a bug, but I don't know if like fleas are very small, very small. I don't know. I don't know how they acquired a flea. They, ne- they never explained it. I, I, I don't know. Um, but this is where I wrote that the book is very good at foreshadowing, which it is. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, they they get Rachel and they get Jake technically because Jake is sitting on Rachel. And they go to meet, they go to visit Visser 3. Um, Chapman walks past Melissa. I get really sad because Melissa makes me really sad when she's like, 
Fluffer, why aren't you Not taking so Fluffer? Why are you taking him? <laughs> like, and then his, his, his dad just isn't saying anything. And then he turns around and he's like, oh, don't worry. This isn't Fluffer. This is a separate cat that went to the basement. And then Ma and Melissa's like, why didn't you answer me before? And he's like, I guess I just didn't notice you, sweetheart. I was like, oh, no. Oh. That sucks. That sucks a lot. Yeah, that was... That was really... Ouch. That was rough. That was rough. Um, but Chapman uh, takes Rachel and Jake to visit Vista 3, who very uh, explicitly wants to torture them. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that's cool. Um, and we learn that Vista 3 is pretty much always just going to chill at the construction site, which I, people... Aren't people working there? Aren't people... No, it was said is that it abandoned? abandoned. Oh, oh, yeah, right. Like what does your state have? Like good infrastructure or something? <laughs> <they're> all over... <laughs> <laughs> those, those type of things are all over where I live. That's funny, Bryn. Like, I know I'm hilarious. <laughs> um. Oh, also, there's a raw line here that I wrote down where it's like. Fear is like a worm inside you. It eats you. It chews oh, your guts. Yeah. It bores holes in your heart. It makes you feel hollow, empty, alone. Fear. And I was like, yo, that's a raw line. Have to go that hard. That really she hurt did. my throat, but I just did. Um, but yeah, Visitor 3 is on the scene again. My king. Just kidding. He sucks, but I love him. Um, and again, Andalites are not calm and gentle. I don't know why they keep describing them as that. I'm sorry, but they're scary. They're scary. Oh, another very raw line is uh, his will was a vast, huge, irresistible thing. Ugh. <laughs> that made me uncomfortable. This whole part made me uncomfortable, especially um, the most disturbing image in this part, or in this book for me, was at this part where it's Visser 3 uh decides because because chapman is saying like i want to talk to visitor three so visitor three lets chapman talk to him which i don't know what it is but the image of chapman just flopping to the floor like a marionette because he forgot how to like, walk or talk that was really creepy for me i that's not something i would have like thought of um in terms of like um a, from a world building perspective that if you don't walk or talk for long enough you kind of forget how to um it's like a brain decay the longer they're inside the yerk the less they remember how to be a functional human when they regain sovereignty over their body which is kind of terrifying oh yeah that's fucked up uh, and it makes you think about tom too oh yeah um well, Tom was pretty... Well, it seems like Tom and the other Yerk controllers are less used than Chapman is. Like, Chapman clearly also, has not been in his own body for far longer than, like, Tom, so... Yeah, absolutely. It seems like Tom is kind of a new yeah. Yerk. Like, he hasn't... Like, Jake said he hasn't been himself for a couple of months, I mean, mm -hmm. who knows that year? Who knows how long that year has been in, in Chapman's body? Yeah, like years. I don't know. Years? I don't know. Shut up. <laughs> that was a, that wasn't making fun of you. It was just a joke. Just a ha. Just a laugh. 
Just a funny haha. Just a funny haha. Sorry, I'm tired. It's okay, man. We're almost done though. Uh oh, and and then they do a battle. The battle commences. It's very exciting. All sorts of stuff happen. It's not even really a battle, right? They're just running. They're just Which running for their the lives. smart decision. Um, Rachel's. Oh well, Jake fights back. He gives uh, the old slashy slashy to the we to Mister Three, which we love to see. He's a tiger because, of course, uh, he's a tiger. Uh, a bunch of shit is happening. Uh, Mister Three is another uh, scary monster. Uh, start a forklift and take out some pork That's bajar. right. That's so weird. <laughs> How does she operate that heavy machinery? Yeah, whatever. She's obviously not on some sort of drug. You know what? I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ex- suspend my disbelief and just say that this child can operate this thingy. Heavy machinery. Heavy machinery. Uh, and everything works out, sort of. They're alive. They're alive. That, I feel like that's gonna be a common theme for these books. Is like it ends with. We're alive. We didn't fix the problems, but we're alive. But uh, in the end of the book, Rachel gives a a happy, uh, like a note saying, like in secret to Melissa saying like, your dad loves you Mm -hmm. more than you will ever know. And I was like, oh, (laughs) my heart. Oh, I love these two. I love Rachel. She's so good. Um, And the end of the book is still somewhat dour though but it is the end so of the book yeah that's the end of the book yeah i okay so predictions predictions for next time what are we thinking for next time i hmm i was wrong first off me too i was wrong i was also wrong i thought that an andalite was gonna show up for sure because who was i guess rachel was the visitor yeah but not i thought the visitor in the title was gonna be maybe i think maybe they're gonna have to like figure it out on their own for a couple of books before the andalites show up um yeah i feel like they're gonna have to suffer on their own for a while probably um oh what are my predictions i think um they're gonna finish the chapman stuff in either this book, this next book, or the book after that. Okay. That's my prediction. I don't know if I have... Because all my predictions were wrong last time. I don't know what to believe anymore. I <laughs> Me either. I think... Okay. I'm hoping that we get a little bit more Tobias content next time. Mm-hmm. Um but then again, with I'm assuming Marco being the narrator, I don't know. I think it'll be really interesting to see his perspective. Yeah. I really am excited. I, yeah. I love Marco. Me too. I think they're going to have to be alone for a while where they're on their own before an Andalite shows up. Yeah, I think uh, so too. I, this whole book reeked of foreshadowing. I just don't oh, know what it, any of it, it means. Roked. Rocked. 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 <laughs> foreshadowing there was a lot there was a lot where i was just like okay that's gonna show up okay that's gonna show up too um but but i don't know man 
I don't know what to believe because, like, anything can happen now. Are we really doing this? No, we don't have to do the whole song. Christmas time can be fun. <laughs> oh, if you okay, if you don't know what we're talking about, please look up "Anything Can Happen on Halloween." By Tim Curry from The Worst Witch. It is, oh, chef's kiss. It is gorgeous. It is um, It is like the mastery of all 90s humor. It's in like CGI. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's just gorgeous. Has anybody seen my tambourine? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so what did you think overall of the book? I loved it. I mean, this book, as I said in the beginning, it slapped. Um, it was fantastic. I think Rachel is a better narrator than Jake. Um, and I'm really excited to see some other points of narration. I like that it kind of established um, some things about like their group dynamic and that we got a little bit more insight into year culture. Um, which I think the more we learn about their culture, the more the harder it's going to be to answer that question that I feel like will eventually be answered probably by the end of the series that we were talking about last time. Like, is it okay to genocide the genociders? Genocide the genociders. Um, it's really interesting, and I'm really interested to see what's going to happen to like the decay of the person inside of of controllers like i'm just really curious what that means for tom mm. in the end game um and now that they know that if that's gonna change jake's opinion on on um how they should go about saving tom or if they should save him yeah because it might it might come to the point where like they can save tom but there's nothing left Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like, because they don't know how much time they have left until he how much Tom they stops. have left. <laughs> That's a good. Yeah, it's true. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> I didn't even realize. Literally true. Uh, yeah, I don't. I have no idea what's gonna happen next. Yeah, another thing that I that I just thought of. Well, not just thought of, but I remembered, uh, which is an interesting element that I thought of while reading this is that the possession of like the yerks like the the yerk possession is kind of similar to the animorphing you know like mm -hmm. it's similar to the morphing because technically uh when when the kids morph they are not possessing a body they create the vessel that they then possess but the way that they describe it is that it's like two minds in one body the animal mind and the human mind and i can't help but, but see the similarities between like controller existence where there is the yerk mind and very clearly the human mind which is awake and can see everything happening yeah absolutely and i think kind of in the same way like with fluffer as in like fluffer means something to other people like with the shrew and with the other animals with the birds that just exist out in nature 
um, that's not as inconsequential. I mean, it's not as consequential, but when you're kind of like possessing the identity of an animal that means something to other people, yeah. um, you're kind of possessing its life. Like, yeah. Like Homer or with Fluffer. Um, like, I think that's really interesting. Like, if they captured an alien, they could easily like tie it up, leave it in a closet to rot, like to rot, and then possess its routine. Identity um, theft. <laughs> identity theft. literally identity theft um oh, yeah. i think that yeah i think that morphing as as shown so far has been shown as like a pretty morally neutral to good concept mm-hmm. unlike the parasitic invasion of the yerks which like that's just what it is like they are parasites um parasites that just happen to be able to have conscious thought and now they're parasitoids because they can be shown to like kill their host after yes uh, like a certain amount of time as we yeah. saw with Chapman. But I do think that morphing can be very easily exploited and used for mm-hmm. evil. Um, and I don't think I, we're ever going to see that though, honestly. I hope we do. I hope we do. I think it'd be really interesting. I want these kids to get into some morally questionable things that aren't just like do I betray my friend or no? Like, not that that isn't engaging, that it's very engaging, but I want, I want them to get into, since this is a war, a war story, I want them to get into the complexities of morality during war. I want that. That'd be cool. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I think this is also going to, as we talk and move through this book series, I think this is going to test our, like you and I's opinions on our own morality during war. Like, oh, I hope so. Like I already have thoughts about same. Like what is okay morally wise in this situation. Um, yeah. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Like, like that's going to be a personal test for for the both of us. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to like talk about like the paradox of like war crimes, where it's like, is it even possible? to do war without war crimes mm-hmm. you know is that is is there such a thing as morally neutral war no, no. <laughs> is the answer no so. um i don't know again i don't know how deep they're gonna get into it but i really hope that they do because i think that they've they, they've shown street harassment and structural racism in these books already and we're only in book two So Mm -hmm. I don't think that this author thinks these questions aren't deep for children. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really hoping that we're going to get into the moral nitty-grittiness of of it all. Um, We're going to get into animorals. I'm going to slap you through... The screen, you know, <laughs> through my microphone. Uh, that was funny. Right across the if there's any, if there's any philosophy students right now that are writing about Kant, that are writing about ethics or morals, I want you to control F on your thesis and replace the word moral with animoral. Then turn that in. Um, Actually, let's let's take it a step further. If you're talking about Kant, or you know, just just delete your just delete your 
delete your entire thesis and just talk about animorphs. <laughs> just talk about animorphs. If you're writing about Diogenes, uh, just delete it all. Right. Um, forget your Diogenes, forget your Aristotle, if forget your Kant. If you're writing about Co. Uh, um, you know, he would actually, he would want you to write about something else. <laughs> he was an absurdist. <laughs> like, if you write about you know Stoppard, who isn't a philosopher, but we're just going to pretend that he is. If you write about Stoppard in your thesis and you just talk about Animorphs for an hour, like, please send us your thesis. <laughs> please give your, give your professors a break. Give them a brain break. Talk about something else. Like war crimes. I, I do like war crimes in a children's book series. Alien war then, crimes. Alien war crimes. Um, and then please do us a favor, send it to us. Um, you can you can send it to us on Twitter or at anim- the Animorphs Book Club uh, at gmail.com. Please send us out your thesis and we will do a book club reading. We will do a bonus it. episode. <laughs> Of reading your thing, please, God, please, please, if anyone is listening, please, if anyone is out there that has written a thesis paper about animals, fucking please send it to us, please. I don't care what your major is. You could be, you could be a culinary major and write a thesis about this. Please, 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 please send please, it to please. us. <laughs> send it to us. I d- please. <laughs> please, please, please. <laughs> um. Well, yeah, that that marks the end of. Uh, yeah, I think that's all that I have to say. Yeah, I think that's all I have to say too. If you have anything that you want to add, uh, you can again DM us on Twitter. Our at is at Animorphin. That's A N I M O R P H I N. Animorphin. Uh, it's a verb. It's a verb. It's a verb, as we discussed. Uh, <laughs> Well, we haven't discussed it, but we are now. It's a verb. Um, you can DM us there. If you have any questions, you can DM us there. If you have any anything you want to say, you can DM us there. Uh, if you have any other questions that you can't get to us on Twitter, if they're longer, you can, again, email us at theanamorphsbookclub at gmail.com. Uh, we appreciate not getting spoilers. That would be appreciated. You can probably also find our personal twitters and instagrams and things and find mine there i don't have a twitter i do i just never use it i think i'm the bog witch something um anyway so yeah so dm us email us if you have questions comments concerns theories just please no spoilers if you would be so kind Um, if you send us spoilers i will i will put your out your at out there i will say your name Sorry. Once the pandemic is over, I will find you and break your kneecaps. No, I'm just kidding. I will. I will. Uh, Annie in misery, take a sled. I will tie you to the bed, take a sledgehammer, break your knees. <laughs> that scene is really fucked up. Um, I don't know that scene. Oh, it's in the movie called. Misery. Okay. It's a. It's a. It's a film. Uh, but yeah. Uh. We appreciate you listening. This one went longer than last time's. This yeah, was very apologize. Apparently, we had a lot to say. Oh, what would you rate this book? We didn't rate the last book. What would you rate this book? Oh, what is what is our rating scale? What out are of, thinking? Let's split the diff and say out of seven. <laughs> Just kidding. Out of out of on a scale of of Hurfjard to Andalite, I'm gonna give this a no on a scale of Yerk to Andalite. 
Um, I'm going to give this a six, I think. On a scale of Yurk to Andalite, I'm going to give this uh, a Cassie. I like it, Cassie. That's, pretty high. That's about it. That's like a 6.5. Yeah, yeah. I, I, if we're rating this on numbers, I did. I, I will rate it an 8, an 8 out of 10. Maybe 8.5 out no, of 10. I thought we were doing that out of 7. I'm so confused. What? <laughs> I th- you said we were doing this on a scale of yeah, 7. Yeah, and then I said never mind. <laughs> and just switch it up on me like that? All right. Out of 7, no, I'd say 5 out of 7. But the last one was 4.5 out of 7. This is... Here's the thing. is I And I think this book suffers from a bit of a weaker first half. Not to go back to the book. I think this suffers from a bit of a weaker first half. But the second half is so strong that, like... It knocks it out the park. I agree. Um, yeah. So on a scale of ten of one to ten, I do. I give this a seven. Um, on a scale of Yerk to Andalite, I give this a Marco. Yeah. Just just below Cassie. Just below Cassie. Um. Well, now we've said all we need to say. Yeah, I have nothing left to say. So neither do I. Well, thank you. For, oh, wait a minute. Let me try that again. Thank you for joining us on this journey into book two, The Visitor. Next week, we will be reading book three, which one one moment, I'm going to pull it up in a second. It's the encounter. With the, oh, the encounter. Woo! And we hope you will read the book and join us next week on our journey into the Animorphs Book Club. Club, how long can I do this bit until it's not funny anymore? Please tell me when this bit stops being funny.